Many of the actions taken today will invalidate the results of the will of the people and shows direct contempt for the voters. Well, duh. That's the whole point, isn't it? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From in the Pacifica middle. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountain on KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Yeah, contempt for the voters, as you heard in that clip. Republicans seem to have a whole lot of that lately for some reason. Yeah, and they've decided to show everybody in no uncertain terms. a whole bunch of states. We will be talking about that momentarily. Uh, Meantime, Georgia voters are at the runoff polls on Tuesday for most notably a secretary of state election, a runoff in a state where the previous secretary of state, that would be Republican Brian Kemp, has spent the last eight years, boy, speaking about contempt for the voters, the last eight years purging more than a million voters from the rolls and committing many other blatant acts of voter suppression to assure his very narrow win at best, if it can be called that, in his quest to become the Peach State's next governor. But with the state uh, finally preparing to ditch its 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems for new voting systems, the outcome of Tuesday's Secretary of State runoff election could not be more important for voters there in advance of the 2020 presidential election in, by the way, a quickly trending blue state. Uh, Therefore... With Georgia's electoral votes now on the line in 2020 in this uh, runoff, it's also important to the entire nation. So we will have whatever the results are available on tomorrow's broadcast for you, undoubtedly, regarding Georgia. Meanwhile, the effects of the November 6 midterms are still reverberating around the country. 
In Michigan, for example, as Ari Berman reports at Mother Jones, voters elected a new Democratic governor on November 6th to replace the outgoing, two-term outgoing uh, Republican um, Rick Scott, not Rick Scott, Rick Snyder. They're all named either Rick or Scott, one way or another. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, they w- w- voted uh, a new Democrat in as governor, and along with it, voters expanded voting rights in Michigan by overwhelmingly passing a ballot initiative that would enact automatic and Election Day registration. At the same time, they also elected Jocelyn Benson, an election law expert, as the first Democratic Secretary of State since 1994. But a new bill introduced by Michigan Republicans in the lame duck before the newly elected Democrats can be sworn in would cut off voter registration 14 days before the election, effectively overturning the Election Day registration initiative that was overwhelmingly adopted by voters who apparently Republicans hate. A separate proposal says Berman would strip power from Benson by removing oversight of campaign finance laws from the Secretary of State's office, instead giving that authority to a state panel composed Equally of Democrats and Republicans, you know, not unlike the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, which is also evenly balanced between Democrats and Republicans in order to ensure that Republicans on the commission will be able to block any enforcement of pretty much any campaign finance laws from moving forward. Michigan Secretary of State-elect Benson said the proposal up there would, quote, lead to more gridlock and less enforcement of our already weak campaign finance laws. And she called the lame duck moves an insult to voters. Boy, a lot of Democrats around the country talking about Republicans insulting voters, having contempt for voters. Republicans are similarly insulting and contemptuous to voters in a number of other states today as they scramble to retain lost power during the lame duck, including in Ohio, in North Carolina, and perhaps perhaps most egregiously, at least for today, and I realize that's a close contest, but uh, most egregiously right now in Wisconsin. What Republicans are doing there today leading to massive demonstrations at the state capitol is, frankly, nothing short of what being described as a a Wisconsin power grab. And I think that's an accurate description. Wisconsin GOP power grab meant to strip powers from the incoming Democratic governor in uh, in Wisconsin and from its incoming attorney general, both of them Democrats, in order to radically restrict voting in the state, among many other things. We'll be joined shortly by Annalise Eicher of One Wisconsin Now to explain what is going on on the ground right there, right now in the Badger State, while protests royal, uh, unlike anything we've uh, seen there, I think, since Governor Scott Walker came to power uh, back in 2011 and promptly stripped public unions of collective bargaining rights. Remember that? Oh, yes. Which we're still covering. Yeah. All well, of these years later. All of the fallout continues. I mean, it just it goes to show how every single vote really does matter. Uh, so that's coming up in a moment. Uh, Desi Doyen, you will also be coming up a little bit later with the yes. Green News Report. Get ready. Make it a good one. <laughs> 
Uh, but first, uh, speaking of North Carolina, which we have been discussing quite a bit over the last week since a massive GOP election fraud case has come to light in the election for the U.S. House in the state's 9th Congressional District, uh, North Carolina election officials have now subpoenaed the campaign of the GOP candidate who may see his unofficial victory in a U.S. House race tossed out after claims of a potential absentee ballot fraud scheme, according to The Washington Post. Republican Mark Harris, his campaign was subpoenaed on Monday, according to The Post, and uh, a group by the name of Red Dome Group, Red Dome Group, a consulting firm, a Republican consulting firm, as it turns out, that uh, Harris hired. They are also expected to be subpoenaed in the days to come. State election officials and other investigators are probing anomalies in the mail-in ballot counts in the 9th District, where the numbers were way outside the norm in two counties in particular, Bladen County and Robeson County. Now, Bladen County reported the highest mail-in ballot return in the state. And Harris, the Republican, won 61 percent of those ballots, despite only 19 percent of them having been sent in by registered Republicans. During his uh, during Harris's primary against uh, incumbent Republican Robert Pittenger, Harris claimed 96 percent of the mail in ballots in Bladen County, which is way higher than he performed across uh, in general in the county. So only in the uh, mail-in ballots, he received 400-something to Pittenger's seven, I think it was. A 96% percent yeah. success. That's like Saddam Hussein levels of success. It is very impressive, but only in the absentee ballots for some reason. Huh. North Carolina State Board of Elections has declined to certify Harris's unofficial victory. They've declined to do it twice now. His lead over the uh, Democrat Dan McCready there is just 905 votes out of more than 280,000 tallied. And um, and the uh, State Board of Elections voted to hold a hearing later this month on evidence that is turned up in its investigation into these irregularities. The scrutiny right now is focused on the role that a local operative a guy by the name of Leslie McCray Dallas played for the Harris campaign. Uh, Dallas, who was sent to prison on felony insurance fraud charges in 1995 after he bought an insurance policy on a dead man. Uh, he was also found guilty of perjury in 1992. So, of course, he was hired to manage the absentee ballot collection program for the uh, Republican Harris. It, more details have been coming out on this every single day. Um, in uh, in Robeson County, the chairman of the Board of Elections there says that he reported irregularities to state officials last summer in regard to mail-in ballots. The uh, Robeson County uh, Election Board Chair Steve Stone was alarmed by what he said was happening in June and July. There were people, he says, in the community that really were not from our community going around and registering people. They were doing absentee ballot requests and sending it on behalf of other people while making copies of it for themselves, for their records, for whatever purpose. I have no clue, Steve Stone said. So he reported the incidents to the State Board of Elections over the summer. And then in August, they started keeping a log of everyone who came in 
and brought in a whole bunch of registration forms, um, made them show ID, write their name down, and, and the names of the people that they were turning in the paperwork for. Stone said that during campaigns, it's normal for out-of-towners to canvas in the rural county, knocking on doors to uh, to help with different get-out-the-vote campaigns, he said. But this was not normal. He said one tactic that the canvassers used was to re-register registered voters, voters who were already registered and active voters, and to give them absentee ballot applications to fill out. Um, in some cases, this was done two and three times for the same voters. And then Stone said some voters would show up at the polls on Election Day and had to cast provisional ballots because they were listed as having voted by mail, but they didn't know anything about it. Meanwhile, the State House Committee on Elections and Ethics Law in North Dakota, this is in the state legislature, they're, they're taking up the, photo, uh, the uh, voter photo ID bill, the photo ID restriction bill, this week during the lame duck session. So that's going on at the same time. Republicans are, are you know, pretending that there is some sort of uh, fraud, massive fraud going on at the polling place where voters don't come in and vote as different people, as Republicans pretend they do. But they seem to be trying to ignore this massive mail-in ballot fraud case that uh, Stone, the uh, election director in uh, Robeson County, said lawmakers need to pay more attention to. As I have been saying for many years. Uh, Moreover, according to the uh, Raleigh News and Observer, Wake County District Attorney Lauren Freeman confirmed Monday that her office has had an active criminal investigation into, quote, potential voting irregularities in Bladen County since early this year. The investigation began with allegations about 2016 voting. But now it incorporates the allegations that were raised in the 2018 general election and the 2018 primary. Freeman, who is a Democrat uh, who won re-election to a second term this year, said there has been an open investigation throughout this entire period. This uh, we're now learning after the uh, what the uh, uh, the chair of the state election board describes as claims of numerous irregularities and concerted fraudulent activities related to absentee ballots. Freeman, the uh, district attorney, became involved earlier in January. So almost a year ago now, after a referral from the uh, district attorney for Bladen County. Freeman said the 2016 allegations regarding fraudulent use of absentee ballots are very paper intensive. And that's why the case has yet to conclude, she says. Also, Hurricane Florence, which slammed into Bladen County back in September, also slowed the work, she said. So there you go. Uh, climate, climate change, change. also <laughs> screwing up elections and <laughs> well, investig- election uh, fraud investigations. It did the same thing with Hurricane Michael in Florida. So, yeah, pay attention, folks. This makes a difference. Um, Republicans, of course, have criticized the state election board for not certifying the election anyway, despite all of this. At a news conference on Monday, state Democratic Party chair Wayne Goodwin said the elections board was right to delay certification of the election and to call for a public hearing. 
Goodwin uh, said, for years, Republicans have pursued voter ID as a solution to a voter fraud problem that doesn't exist. Their efforts disenfranchise North Carolinians and target communities of color. Uh, Yet, he said, the GOP has called for the board to certify an election where serious allegations of election tampering have been made. The hypocrisy, he noted, is unmistakable. Evidence of uh, it's true. It's just it's kind of mind blowing, which is why I've been just just fascinated with this story since it broke uh, last week, a week or so yeah, ago. I mean, now. it's it's, I mean, it's shocking, uh, if not surprising. It is shocking. It, it's unbelievable. Uh, evidence of possible election fraud was uncovered just as state legislators began working to pass that new voter ID law that I mentioned, actually to jam it through. What they're trying to do is jam that bill through in the lame duck in North Carolina before they lose their supermajority in the state legislature so that they can then override any veto from the state's Democratic governor, Roy Cooper. Yes, they now have a Democrat in charge. Uh, He was elected two years ago in 2016, but the Republicans are about to lose their supermajority, which they've been able to use to override uh, Cooper's vetoes of these insane right wing things that they've been passing in uh, in North Dakota, uh, North Carolina. Back to Ari Berman at Mother Jones. He says Republican efforts to strip Democrats of power during the lame duck legislative sessions originated in North Carolina back in 2016. Following the election of Democratic Governor Roy Cooper, the Republican-led legislature passed a series of bills to reduce his power, which included preventing the then-incoming Democratic governor from appointing a majority of members to the State Board of Elections and and the 100 county boards of elections. So... Uh, In fact, that's part of all of this mess as well, because the election board itself, the state election board, faces uncertainty. A panel of three judges ruled in October that changes to the board that were introduced by the state's Republican controlled General Assembly were, in fact, unconstitutional. North Carolina's governor, Democratic uh, uh, Governor Roy Cooper, said that the changes were, in fact, designed to er erode his control of the board. A stay in the ruling that permitted the board to operate was set to expire but has now been extended. Harris filed a motion for the board to remain in existence until his race uh, is certified the Republican Harris in the ninth uh, district court. He's he wants to keep this uh, this board in place until the certification happens, because the incoming board will be even less friendly, perhaps, to the Republicans. They may have uh, the Democratic governor will have more control of that board. But Berman notes the North Carolina legislature is now at it again. It originally passed their uh, photo ID restriction back in 2013. The federal courts struck that down, saying that it targeted black voters with almost surgical precision. After that law was struck down in court, the Republican legislature put a constitutional amendment on the ballot in 2018 requiring government-issued photo ID in order to vote. That passed this past November with 60% support on Election Day. 
Of course, we don't know how many fraudulent Republican absentee ballots were submitted for it. But in any event, it passed with 60 percent of the vote. But because the Republicans lost their super rather uh, legislative supermajority, they're now rushing to pass that bill, implementing the amendment in the lame duck session so that Cooper will be unable to veto it. Got that? Does this all make sense? I oh, mean, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's outrageous, serious, but it's, that's it's, what they're doing. It's obscene. It's really obscene. Uh, voter ID opponents and uh, uh, Goodwin, the uh, Democratic Party chair, uh, said that Republicans are willing to ignore potential fraud when it benefits their candidates. Melissa Crom of North Carolina Voters for Clean Elections said at a news conference, quote, it is reprehensible that the Republican Party advocates for laws making it harder for eligible voters to cast their ballot while they are trying to block a fair investigation into Bladen and Robeson absentee ballots. Well, you think that's reprehensible? You think that's obscene? Wait until you hear what Republicans in Wisconsin are trying to do today before Republican Governor Scott Walker is replaced by a Democrat next month. Wait to see what they're doing in a special lame duck session today. That's next on the broadcast with one Wisconsin's now Alisa Eicher. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Republicans in Wisconsin may have the power for now, if only for a few more days in the lame duck session before their governor, Scott Walker, is forced to hit the bricks. And apparently they are not afraid to use that power or abuse that power, as the case may be. As our friend and lifelong Wisconsinite John Nichols reports at The Nation, Wisconsin's Republican Governor Scott Walker lost his bid for re-election in November and his fellow Republicans lost with him in a high turnout election that saw a record 2.7 million voters cast midterm ballots. Walker's team was trounced. Every statewide Republican candidate was defeated, along with Walker. For attorney general, for secretary of state, for state treasurer, for lieutenant governor... Earlier in the year, in another high turnout election, a state Supreme Court candidate backed by Walker and his allies won just 44 percent of the vote, losing what had been a conservative, so-called conservative seat on the high court. On the same day, the governor's attempt to eliminate the office of state treasurer, that was rejected as well by voters by a 62 to 38 margin. And in a special election for state Senate seats, Republicans lost districts where they had not been defeated in decades. The only thing, writes Nichols, that saved Wisconsin Republicans from a total wipeout in 2018 was gerrymandering. 
despite the fact that Republicans in the state assembly won just 45 percent of the votes in November, they took 63 percent of the seats in the assembly. Thanks to what Common Cause in Wisconsin refers to as, quote, one of the most partisan gerrymanders of any state legislature in the nation. That gerrymandered map was found unconstitutional by the federal courts, but the Republicans' stolen majority on the U.S. Supreme Court last June prevented state assembly districts from being redrawn before this year's elections. Despite the devastating losses, Republicans in the state assembly tried to spin the November results somehow as a mandate for their caucus and in a special legislative session called for the lame duck state legislature before Democratic governor uh, governor elect Tony Evers and the others, including Attorney General elect Josh Call, can be sworn in. The Wisconsin state legislators are attempting to pull off an audacious power grab very similar to the one that we saw in North Carolina after a Democrat was elected to the governor's mansion there back in 2016. The Wisconsin lawmakers are hoping to strip powers previously held by the governor and the attorney general and, yes, by the voters in Wisconsin. As Ari Berman describes it at The Nation, late last Friday, Wisconsin's Republican-held legislature introduced a 141-page bill to strip the incoming Democratic Governor Evers and Attorney General Call of core powers before they even take office. But they're going further than that in what appears to be a desperate attempt of not repeating what happened to their party in 2018. The massive bill would make it harder for Wisconsinites to vote by cutting early voting days and preventing Evers from making the state's voter ID law less restrictive. Currently, for example, Wisconsin counties can decide when to begin the early voting period in large Democratic cities like Madison and Milwaukee uh, began early voting six weeks before the election in 2018, and they saw record turnout. The new bill, however, would limit the early voting period to just two weeks across the entire state. The new effort to cut early voting is similar to a previous law that was struck down by a federal court. But Republicans don't seem to care. They're trying it again, and this time with an even more brazen power grab moving at lightning speed. Not seen at the state capitol in Madison since the GOP rammed through a landmark bill to strip public unions of collective bargaining rights just after Walker first took power in 2011. They are now also seeing protests at the state capitol, unlike any since that controversial 2011 measure. That was protesters chanting no lame duck in Madison. Last night in 20 degree temperatures, a huge rally against the measure was held outside the Capitol building. And as we go to air today, the protests continue as the state assembly is holding marathon hearings to mark up the measure for speedy passage in the special lame duck session. Governor Walker says he plans to sign whatever is passed by his fellow Republicans on his way out the door. As Governor-elect Evers sent a statement to the Assembly charging, 
quote, the legislation before you today and the spirit of this extraordinary session are unfettered attempts to override and ignore what the people of Wisconsin asked for this November. Hard to argue with that, but do you think Republicans care? Joining us now to discuss what has become known on the Twitters as the Wisconsin GOP power grab is the plaintiff who successfully sued and blocked the state's previous attempt to restrict early voting in the Badger State. Annalise Eicher is the program director for the nonprofit One Wisconsin Now. They have, of course, been fighting this uh, extraordinary measure in Wisconsin, which is uh, moving forward in the state assembly, even as we go to air. Annalise Eicher, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. There are so many objectionable things that the GOP is desperately trying to do in this uh, in this bill. It's difficult to know where to start. I know you have a particular interest in the early voting aspect, uh, given your history as a plaintiff who, who blocked a similar measure. So I want to ask about that. But if it's possible, first, are, are you able to just run down? I mean, it was a long intro as is. I couldn't even fit in all the things they're trying to do here uh, in Wisconsin. Can you give us some idea of uh, some of the measures in this stunning power grab that Republicans are trying to pull off with this one huge bill? Absolutely. And, you know, you're correct in, in noting just how many changes um, in this in this piece of legislation that they're going to be passing um, that, you know, they've indicated they, they plan on passing it tonight, whether that's, you know, at, at midnight or, you know, really early mm-hmm. tomorrow morning. Um, you know, they we got these bills on Friday afternoon, and it's kind of hard to believe that it's moving this quickly. But what we're seeing here is, is the obliteration of the separation of powers. We know that when Republicans don't like the results, they seek to change the rules and to change how things operate. And with Democrats sweeping six statewide elections here in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. the only option for the Republicans uh, to sort of maintain what they thought was their really, really great unilateral control of the state of Wisconsin Mm -hmm. um, is, is to make changes. So we're seeing everything from limiting local governments' um, abilities to do work on their roads, uh, limiting their abilities to pay a prevailing wage, changing the makeup and composition of boards and commissions in Wisconsin so that the legislature has um, equal or more power than the governor Mm -hmm. um, in regards to appointments. Uh, We're seeing changes to uh, people's abilities to uh, get health care um, and, and receive benefits. We're seeing changes to the attorney general's office as to whether or not the attorney general can leave a lawsuit or join a lawsuit um, that the, essentially that the, the people of Wisconsin voted for. Um, and as you mentioned, we're also seeing changes being made to voting mm-hmm. in the state of Wisconsin, which is something that is very near and dear to um, not only myself, but also to One Wisconsin Now. And I promise you, very near and dear to uh, to me and the broadcast and our work at bradblog.com for so many years. Before we get to that, the, you mentioned that um, 
that uh, Obamacare, a lawsuit, essentially, didn't uh, incoming attorney Josh Call uh, during the campaign, didn't he vow to remove Wisconsin from that federal lawsuit by a number of Republican-controlled states, including Wisconsin, against Obamacare and its protections for coverage of pre-existing conditions. Uh, this, This would take away the attorney general's power to do so and hand it to the state legislature essentially to decide what uh what lawsuits uh, the the state actually participates in or not yeah that's exactly what's happening uh you know we had voters across the state of wisconsin from both parties from no parties um who really truly voted for um incoming attorney general josh call because of his commitment to standing up for pre-existing conditions and standing up for people's rights to health care. Um, and he did. He vowed that he would be taking Wisconsin out of that lawsuit and fighting for people to have health care, to have their pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. covered. And this um, extraordinary session bill uh, severely, severely limits his ability to uh, essentially do what he campaigned on and do what people voted for him for. This is a well, at least it sounds like a separation of powers issue. I'm not an attorney and I, of course, I don't know the uh, the state constitution. But are there measures in the state constitution that essentially uh, define what would be an uh, an executive power versus a uh, a legislative power that uh, if this bill does pass that? Uh, one Wisconsin now or, or any of the others, uh, other groups out there would essentially have to go to court to try to argue this bill violates? Well, I am also not an attorney, mm-hmm. um, but I can tell you that um, some very smart people and some very smart attorneys um, are, are already looking at everything. Um, we are planning to go through everything that's passed section by section, line by line, um, and looking at all options, um, not just here at One Wisconsin Now, but a number of organizations in the state that we work with that are concerned about the separation of powers, that are concerned about good government, um, you know, and that are concerned that, um, you know, that the fact that we need a government that works for the people and by the people and not for uh, the, the personal and professional interests of the Republicans. I believe that uh, this part, and I know this has all been moving quickly, and uh, you may not even be more caught up on it than I at this point, but I I think this part has been rejected, that the GOP had hoped to move the state's 2020 presidential primaries that I think were planned for April back to March, but leave a Supreme Court election hanging there in April, not even one month late, one month later, in hopes that that would be a low turnout election and thus protect one of their right wing uh, justices uh, who faces the voters that year. Do I understand that correctly? And has that measure at least been uh, struck down as part of this package? Yeah. So late last night, um, close to midnight, mm-hmm. uh, I was tuned in and and, and watching and we learned that they were not going to be moving forward um, with changing the 2020 presidential preference primary. Uh, and, and you were correct in saying that their goal uh, in moving this was to benefit uh, their control of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. Uh, the justice who is up for uh, election in 2020 mm-hmm. is a judge named Dan Kelly. He was appointed by Governor Walker 
Um, he has incredibly conservative credentials and views um, and is, is someone that the Republicans can count on to rule the way that they want. And so, you know, there was that partisan aspect of it, but there was also the technical piece of it is impossible to have elections, three statewide elections, you know, in a row month after month after right. month. And so there was a, a major backlash um, towards the legislature, the Republicans in the legislature, by our not only our county clerks, but our municipal clerks, mm-hmm. who are the ones in charge of our elections. Um, and so that is a big victory. Um, we are very grateful that, um, you know, this change isn't going to be happening. Um, but, you know, that being said, <laughs> there's yeah. still a lot of awful yeah, um, in, in this in this extraordinary session. Yeah, that and that, I understand, would have cost, uh, it would have been an election, I think not even one month later, and it would have cost an extra $7 million, and yet these right-wingers still claim to be fiscal conservatives. Um, what What is the reason that Republicans are giving, the, the public reason in any event, to support their change to early voting, uh, to reduce it from six weeks to two weeks in uh, in the state's most Democratic cities? I know that, uh, you were the plaintiff in that case that struck down their previous effort to do this. What is the what is the ostensible claim they are making uh, for the reason that this should be done across the state? So the reason that the Republicans have always given for curtailing early voting um, is to standardize the process. Uh, unfortunately um, for them, mm-hmm. the judge, the federal judge in our case, found that standard for one community is not the same as standard for another community. Um, You know, we have over 1,700 municipalities in the state of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, where I'm from, which is Janesville, Wisconsin, um, Mm -hmm. is way different than where I live now in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, which is way different than, you know, an hour or so east in Milwaukee, which is way different than, you know, up north. So... Their reasoning is that they want to standardize this. That's their public reasoning. Well, you know, they, but they, the real, the real reason yeah. is that they want to suppress the votes of people who might not vote for them at the ballot box. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you notice they they never seem to standardize the okay. Let's standardize it so that everyone has early voting for six weeks. They never do that, do they? Uh, it's no, always... they don't. <laughs> and what's really great is that, um, you know, you mentioned the, the six weeks of, of voting, which, I, you know, we had over 565,000 people in the state of Wisconsin take advantage of early voting. Mm. And we know that both Democrats and Republican candidates were encouraging people to take advantage of, of voting, mm-hmm. uh, including Scott Walker. Um, about six weeks prior to the election, Scott Walker put out a video encouraging people to go vote early. And now he's looking at a bill coming out of an extraordinary session after he lost that would severely curtail yeah. voters' abilities to vote. And and these changes, uh, they do make a difference. Ari Berman uh, notes over at Mother Jones that a study of the uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison found that the polling place photo ID restrictions that were enacted by Republicans over the over multiple objections by multiple courts, 
uh, that we've covered over the years, that that measure actually reduced turnout in 2016 by some 23,000 votes in just Milwaukee and Dane County alone. That's uh, Madison's uh, Dane County finding... um, Quote, African-Americans more than three were more than three times as likely as whites to be deterred from voting. Now, Donald Trump reportedly won the state of Wisconsin uh, the first time a Republican has done so in decades in uh, 2016 by almost that exact margin. Twenty three thousand votes. What power uh, to change those uh, photo ID restrictions does the incoming governor-elect currently have, uh, which the GOP is now hoping to take away from Tony Evers? Sure. So, you know, any governor um, through Wisconsin's administrative rule process um, has the ability, uh, you know, right now Mm -hmm. uh, to essentially expand um, and ease the difficulty um, on, on on photo ID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Governor-elect Evers could come in and say, well, under what's currently law, mm-hmm. could say, you know what, yeah, you can use that ID or we can use this ID, and it doesn't have to be as restrictive as it's currently written and has been challenged in so many court cases. Mm. But what the Republicans are doing in this extraordinary session, which Governor Walker, um, outgoing Governor Walker, I like to say it like that, right. um, is you know likely going to sign is curtailing the governor's ability to make it easier for people to vote through the rule process and so we have you know this incredibly restrictive photo id law incredibly restrictive um relatively restrictive registration laws and we have a culture in the united states that is moving towards making it easier for voters to vote and yet we have a Republican-controlled legislature and an outgoing Republican governor who just suffered major losses who want to see that, um, just to want to see that, that progress stopped. And from our opinion, um, you know, any effort to sort of further codify um, the failure that is Wisconsin's photo ID system into law mm-hmm. is just another attack on voting rights of people of color and of communities who might not vote for the Republicans um, at the ballot box. That said, without the power of the majority in the gerrymandered assembly, what leverage really do Democrats uh, have here to try to curb some of these measures before passage? That is an excellent question. Um, You know, and and I will say this, Wisconsin Democrats have been fighting the Wisconsin Republicans who have had the majority mm-hmm. for the last, you know, eight years. Yep. Um, you know, they have amendments, they've introduced, um, you know, solutions and ideas that make a lot of sense on the surface, um, but for some reason are just completely ignored and rejected by the Republicans um, for the sole reason that they want to stay in power no matter what the cost. It, it, back in, in 2011, uh, m- many Democrats had left the state to keep a quorum from being able uh, to, to adopt the anti-union bill back there at the time. Was that not an option this time? Unfortunately, it was not an option this time. Um, the reason that they were able to leave and prevent a fiscal quorum on the 
bills back in 2011 was because it was a, a, a bill that required um, fiscal action. Mm-hmm. And a fiscal quorum was much different than just your standard quorum. I and see. so because of these awful bills don't have, while they have some fiscal effect, mm-hmm. it doesn't require the same type of quorum leaving the state and would not actually prevent the Republicans from not being able to take action. Uh, I've got just another uh, quick question or two. Annalise Eicher from One Wisconsin Now. Uh, Wisconsin was sort of the Petri dish, as I uh, as I see it, as I saw it at the time, for this uh, sort of hardball, right-wing power politics uh, that we're seeing uh, and that sort of began after Walker came to power in 2010. We've seen it now in other states like North Carolina and Michigan. North Carolina's state legislature pulled uh, similar stunts to strip power from the incoming Democratic governor after the 2016 election there before he could be sworn in. Michigan is now doing something very similar there before their Uh, Democratic governor can come in. John Nichols argues Republicans are running scared and what scares them is democracy. Is that really the bottom line of what is going on here, Annalise? I would agree that the Republicans are scared of democracy, but I think what what really is at the heart of it is is power. Um, you know, it, it's power and it's money and it's being able to control everything to, you know, pass laws that benefit their personal pocketbooks and the pocketbooks of their donors. Will they pay a price for this in 2020 or will the state maps still be so rigged uh, by that point that it won't matter? <laughs> well, Wisconsin uh, is Wisconsin still has an active lawsuit um, over our severely gerrymandered map. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I will also say that voters are not responding well um, to what's happening in this extraordinary session. The voters of Wisconsin voted for Democrats up and down the ballot on November 6th. And by voting for and and receiving a Democratic executive branch um, and having a Republican-controlled legislative branch, Wisconsinites are asking them to work together. And I don't think that they will take too kindly to the legislature in 2020 um, because of, you know, some of the actions that are happening, well, that happened yesterday, that are happening today, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that will likely happen in the next couple of years. I hope their memories are long in Wisconsin. Annalise Eicher, Program Director for One Wisconsin Now. You can find them and support them at onewisconsinnow.org, and you can find and follow and share them on the Twitters at One Wisconsin Now. Annalise, greatly appreciate you joining us today on the broadcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. You bet. Good luck. Thanks. They're going to need it. Oh my goodness! Yes, they are. My, you know what? What strikes me about this is what the hell are voters supposed to do in Wisconsin if the Republicans manage to cement their grip on power such that they can't ever get rid of the Republicans? Well, you know what? They're going to keep voting. They're going to keep going to court. Uh, I, you know, we don't know what maps they're actually going to be voting on by 2020. The uh, case continues, as Annalise said. Uh, over those uh, districts that were found to be unconstitutional, unlawful. And basically, the U.S. Supreme Court said, oh, that's okay. 
go ahead, use them anyway. And, you know, kicked it back down to uh, a lower court. I think that uh, lower court is going to find them similarly unconstitutional once again. Now, whether the U.S. Supreme Court once again finds a reason to allow them to stand, it seems like it would be very hard to do, especially after, you know, looking at this election where uh, Dem- where Republicans got 45 percent of the vote and yet ended up with two thirds of the seats in the state assembly. How can that be justified, although maybe this U.S. Supreme Court doesn't actually care? Which brings us back to your question, Desi. What the hell are voters supposed to do? Well, keep fighting like hell and I guess keep voting like hell. Uh, That's all we can do. We'll see what happens. The Democrats made big strides in November. We'll see what happens in 2020. All right, quick break. Desi Doyen is back with the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You know, before I forget, yeah. before everyone uh, tunes out at the end of the show after they're uh, so depressed from your Green News report, does he doing? Uh, just a little reminder as we uh, as we get to uh, to the end of the year, uh, I want to thank uh, folks who are able to stop by bradblog.com/donate to support what we do here on the Bradcast. Uh, I mentioned earlier that it feels like we've been uh, following, covering the state of Wisconsin since Scott Walker took over and his uh, union stripping bill. And in fact, we have. We have been covering it all of these years and North Carolina and Georgia and all of these other places. But we can't do it without your help. Um, And we need your help at bradblog.com slash donate. Any amount you're able to... uh, to help us out with in a one-time donation or any amount you would like to sign up with for a uh, monthly subscription is greatly appreciated. It all helps, and thank you so much. It all helps a lot right now. Uh, All right, well, let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. I'm happy to say we reached consensus. Just not on climate change with the U.S. at the G20. Time is running out. Leaders of the world, you must lead. A warning for a world at a crossroads as talks begin at the annual U.N. Climate Summit. Plus, successful economic development and environmental protection go hand in hand. The somewhat surprising environmental legacy of the late President George H.W. Bush. All of those somewhat surprises and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And if we want our kids to know that the joy that we've known, we've got to make sure that the earth, with its incredible regenerative capability, uh, can restore what we've taken. Nice thought. Maybe you should have mentioned that to your kid before he became president. Mr. Bush, this is your Green News Report.
Okay, Desi Doyen, a lot of crossroads, a lot of summits, a lot of politics in today's Green News Report. Yes. First, the surprising environmental legacy of George H.W. Bush, the 41st president of the United States, who died last Friday. His policies were mixed, but he was instrumental in some landmark environmental policies. He signed the world's first international climate treaty, the Montreal Protocol, that is now succeeding in repairing the planet's protective ozone layer. He signed a major expansion of the Clean Air Act that addressed acid rain and smog-forming pollutants, and it provided the legal and regulatory basis for the Obama administration's climate change policies. And remember that dire National Climate Assessment Report that the Trump administration tried to bury on Black Friday? I do. Yep, Bush signed that law that requires that report on climate impacts every four years. Bush 41's environmental legacy is a stark contrast, of course, to today's science denying Republican Party and the Trump administration. It certainly is. And there's uh, a lot of things I could say, but won't for the moment about uh, George H.W. Bush and his presidency. But when it comes to his environmental legacy, it wasn't fantastic. But in comparison to what the Republican Party has become, including his own son, George W. Bush, and of course, Donald Trump, Well, I miss the good old days, I guess. Meanwhile, at the G20 meeting in Buenos Aires over the weekend, 19 of the 20 world leaders gathered at the summit signed a joint communique pledging to join together to fight climate change, which Trump refused to sign until the U.S. delegation carved out a special paragraph just for the U.S., reiterating Trump's intention to withdraw from the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement and with thinly veiled support for fossil fuels. And according to a comprehensive new report measuring progress toward the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. Among the G20 nations, 15 reported that their emissions have actually increased over last year, and only India is on course to meet its stated targets to cut emissions. A, that's not good news. B, didn't Republicans spend a whole bunch of years telling us that China and India would never sign on to reduce uh, fossil fuel emissions? You mean they spent many years lying about China and India? Point taken. Now, global leaders are in Poland for the 24th Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or COP24 for short. Which is being held in coal country and sponsored by the coal industry. Indeed. Host nation Poland got its coal industry to sponsor the conference and is literally decking the halls of the exhibition center with piles of coal. Uh, Really? Yes, really. Oh, my God. The goal of this year's conference is to write the rule book on mechanisms for countries to meet the emissions reduction targets that nearly 200 countries agreed to in the Paris Climate Agreement back in 2015. It's also supposed to figure out how they will report, how they will verify their progress, and also to increase financial support for hard-hit developing countries. In his speech opening COP24, British documentary filmmaker and environmental activist Sir David Attenborough spoke of the urgency of a world at a crossroads. If we don't take action, the collapse of our civilizations and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. And as the Paris Agreement proved, together 
we can make real change happen. We should note that Trump's intention to withdraw the U.S. from the Paris Climate Accord can't actually occur until the day after the 2020 U.S. presidential election. However, he has succeeded in undermining the agreement and encouraging other countries like Australia, Brazil, and Poland to backslide. But there is some good news from COP24. The World Bank announced on Monday it will invest a record $100 billion to fund adaptation and mitigation projects in developing countries. Didn't the World Bank just a few weeks ago say they would no longer fund any coal projects anywhere in the world? That they did. So, see, there's some progress. Indeed. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah. Keep on moving. That's Don't the only, stop. That's the only answer. That's the solution to our uh, environmental problems. That's the solution to our voting problems, which are all sort of tied together. All aren't of they? our democracy problems. All yes. of our democracy pro- problems, which we cover every day here on the broadcast. Desi Doyen, thank you very much for that. My thanks to our guest today, Annalise Eicher of One Wisconsin Now, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or whatever your favorite podcast site happens to be. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. I hope you will find me and share me there as well with everyone you know. You're very shareable. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for noticing. Uh, What else? That's it. Uh, Oh, thanks again to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. Particularly before the end of the year, we greatly appreciate and need your support. You're the only ones who keep us on your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.